Well, praise God. How was everybody this morning? Y'all happy to be in church? <laughs> praise God. Well, I, I got to uh, take off last week. Dr. Brown preached a great message. I hope y'all heard that about joy, and, and that was a great message. And I got, to, I got to do like I know a whole lot of people are doing today. I got to sit in the easy chair, drink coffee, watch the message, and see what was going on. I said, this is nice. This is nice. But I'm glad to be with you today. And uh, I'm going to preach a message. This is, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to get through this today. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, this, I, we took off for a few days and uh, went somewhere where it was cool and uh, didn't want to come home. But anyway, and uh, it always amazes me because it seems like, you know, we try to get away and, and take off always during the summer once a year and, uh, you know, to, to, to just refresh ourselves. And every time I go, it seems like I come across the same story in the Bible. I don't know if it's just that I'm reading myself the, and then the Old Testament, a year goes by and it always seems like I get on the same story. And, uh, but I was reading this week and just having a good time with the Lord. And, and I was just got so excited, so encouraged. I ended up, I got a message today. I don't know if it's going to be two messages. And then I got a whole nother series that I want to start called family business that is, you're going to enjoy. And uh, so anyway, y'all need to send me away more often, make sure I leave just so I can get, get fresh stuff and don't just get in here and saying, sinners in the hands of an angry God, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so the title of the message today is Fence Riders. Fence Riders. All right, now I'm going to say some things that are probably going to disturb, well, they ain't going to disturb y'all. Y'all are going to all say amen, but there may be some people watching and it disturbs them, but you're just going to have to get over it. Because there's a story in the Bible uh, of one of my favorite characters is Elisha. And there's a story of Elisha going up on Mount Carmel, calling fire down from heaven. And, and, and this is just one of my favorite stories. I've probably preached somewhat of this message every year of my life for the past 35 years. But uh, this time it's just a little different. It cut a little deeper because, you know, I don't know, folks, there's just some things I need to tell you this morning in case you haven't. Uh, been opening your eyes and being aware of what's going around. Right now, statistics say 60%, hear me now, 60% of Americans are, are in what they call clinical depression. 60%. 60% because of, you know, through the, through the pandemic, through COVID, through fear, through misinformation, through all the things going on out there in life, through all the, the concerns and all this, 60%, 60 Everybody say 60. 60. That's a lot. 60% of everybody is depressed. Not just like, well, I don't know. It's hot. I don't feel good. And there ain't no water in the river. No, we're talking about clinically depressed. All right? That's wrong. All right? I heard a report coming home that said that because of inflation, because of everything going on, that nowadays we're going to lose one month's salary in just inflation. That's enough to make you depressed right there, okay? But one month. So you're going to work 12 months but only earn 11 months because of what's going on in the world today, all right? We've got shortages of everything. Whoever thought we'd have toilet paper runs? Got to run on toilet paper, but get some. I mean, that just, come on. It, it doesn't register, okay? But because of the isolation, people have been forced into isolation, which is even worse because now that you're forced into isolation, you're already depressed. It makes everything else worse. Our kids are behind 
they're trying to have catch up in schools because uh, the kids are behind because of everything that's been going on in, in school and closing down of school. Family violence is as high as it's ever been. Young people are lost in the world because they have nothing to identify with and they're trying to just identify with anything out there and it's all crazy. All right. Well, Israel at the time in this story, I'm going to read to you in 1 Kings 18, was in the same kind of a situation. Maybe not uh, in, 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 you know, in, in, they weren't dealing with COVID. Okay. Let me put it that way. But they were dealing with a drought. And there was a drought that had come upon the land, and it had been there because Elisha, the prophet of that day, God had spoken to him and said, go prophesy and say, it's not going to rain. It didn't rain for three years. Not a drop fell in Israel for three years. And we can all say amen to that. Like, we're kind of like knowing what goes on when that happens. You ever notice, like, like when we came home, I said, God, you are so good. Because when I came home and I got up on 39 up there, it had just rained. And it was green. And there was green grass. And I was like, oh, man, it wasn't when I left. And then I came on down the road. And there was water in the road. And then I came all the way in Utopia and started raining. And I said, oh, God, are you not nice to me? And I turned down our road to go to our road. It was raining. And I looked at the thermometer and said it was 86. And I said, Lord. We do live in paradise. And then I got to my house. It wasn't raining. And it was like, oh, oh, can you breathe? It's so humid. But anyway, I got to experience a little bit of it. But you know how it is, right, right folks? I mean, your attitude changes when it rains, right? And the grass is green. Then you start complaining about the lawnmower won't start. You got to mow grass and all this kind of stuff. But until you get to that point, when it rains, you feel better. Well, three years, it did not rain in Israel. It was bone dry. Everything had dried up. The rivers had dried up. Everything was going on like that. And so, you know, it seems kind of like that now, like we're all in this hardship and everything's going on. And I, 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 you know, I don't know about y'all, but I get frustrated. You're trying to order supplies and you can't get supplies. You can't get this. You can't get that. You know, weird things, this and that. And the supply chain's been messed up. Then on top of that, over the last several years, we good people, I consider y'all good people, good conservative, God-fearing Christians have been called deplorables. People that cling to their Bible and their guns. And then this last week, I heard that we're all murderers. And so, you know, I tend to get a little irritated. I don't like that. I don't like putting it in there. So I want to pick up this story because in 1 Kings 18, 18 is where I'm going to start. You can start it actually in, in verse 1, but for, for preaching time today, is the same situation. There's a drought. Elijah has set up, he's the man of God, and Ahab is the king, and he's a wicked king doing whatever he wants to do. He, he, his wife Jezebel, they're, they're part of the worst bunch that there ever was in leadership in Israel in those days. But I want to pick it up in 1 Kings 18, 18. And he says, he answered, and he said, because Ahab had accused Elisha of causing the problem. And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the bells. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's 850 against one. All right. So what had happened was it came to this point, this climax of everything been going on. God had been sovereignly protecting Elisha, and then all of a sudden, it's ready for the showdown. And so Elisha said, okay, this is it. You think I'm the trouble, 
Right now in America, they're trying to turn it. They're trying to divide this nation. They're trying to make it seem like you are the problem. People that believe in God are the problem. But I'm telling you, it's, it, we're not in anything new. It was happening here in 1 Kings 18. Same situation. But Elisha had enough. God had given him the direction. He says, okay, it's time for the showdown. Call them out. So he says, bring them all out there. And so first, I'm still in 1 Kings 18, verse 20. It says, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered all the prophets together to Mount Carmel. And Elisha came to all the people and he said, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. In other words, Elisha said, get off the fence. Either serve God with all of your heart or go serve the devil. Do what you want. Make a choice. Don't ride the fence. Folks, when you're riding the fence in life, no matter what it is, you're never going to have success. You can't be between two opinions. You got to be solely dedicated to one. Now, I want to tell you all this because, you know, when I'm when I take off and I'm not having to do all the normal things in life, I think a lot. I'm I'm thinking all the time. And I was thinking about how. How. In 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 the world right now and the things going on in the world right now, that so many people. And even people who say that they're Christians are still faltering between two opinions. It's funny that when I got saved, I became a Christian. Everybody said Christian. Christian. Now, when I didn't I didn't think about being a white Christian, a black Christian, a brown Christian, you know, an Indian Christian, a Asian Christian. I, I was a Christian and I joined the family of God. Hello. And it didn't make any difference. I just want to know, are you a Christian? I didn't care what denomination. You believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. You believe he died on the cross and arose again on the third day. If you do, we're family. We're Christians. All the rest didn't mean anything to me. I was just, you know, young and excited. And then people began to try to pull me to the side and say, no, no, well, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you can't. It's not that general. Why isn't it? Why in a nation today are we being divided? And the other second thing is I was an American. I was just where I was born and raised. I thought we were Americans. I didn't know you had to be an Asian American, a Mexican American, a, you know, African American. I didn't know we divided up into categories. I thought we were Americans. Just like I'm Christian and I don't see color, we should be Americans and not see color. Now, I know there's idiots out there. You know, tell me there's bad preachers out there. But you're not going to hear it from me this morning. And you cannot falter between two opinions. You either are a Christian or you're not. Look at the person beside you and say, boy, he's preaching good this morning. <laughs> oh, pastor, we're going to send him off more often. Boy, he got the fire this morning. It's a, always a devil's tactic to come in there and try to get you divided. Get Christians to arguing over, you know, how much water we're going to use in a baptism. I went to a church, and I thought this is funny, you know. Sometimes I've heard people talk about our church and say, man, y'all stand for a long time and, you know, 30 minutes or so up there standing and singing. I went to a church the other day. I was at a funeral, and, uh, and we stood up and down so much that my thighs started hurting. I was like, man, we're going to get exercise in this church. Boy, I tell you what, get up, get down. And I couldn't grab the pew in front of me because it wasn't screwed down. And every time I pulled on it, it backed up. And I was like, man, I got to, yeah. And so we stood up so much. I came home. I said, man, I got to have to, oh, 
got the thigh workout here in this church, you know? So whatever the choice is, whether you're just standing, it's easier to stand. That is the thigh workout. I can just tell you all that. So, I mean, but whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. Are you a Christian? And the devil's trying to get people all torn apart right now and get everybody divided because if he can divide, he can conquer. Hello? Matthew 12, 25, Jesus himself said, he said, that the, he said, I know your thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation. And every city or house divided against itself, it will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself, then how can his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, you can't have a divided kingdom. There's no success in a divided kingdom. You cannot have two opinions. I don't care if it's your marriage, your children, your life, your focus, your vision. If you're faltering between two opinions, you're going to end up in shipwreck. You've got to be focused in one. So Elijah here, he says, come on, bring all the people out. Let's see them. Trot them on out here. Bring everyone out. And let's just have it out. So look, pick it up in verse 22. So 1 Kings 18, 22. Then Elisha said to the people, I alone and left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450. And then let them give us two bulls. Let each of them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces. Lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered, hey, yeah, sounds good to us. I paraphrase that, but that's what they said. The God who answers by fire. Folks, listen to me today. We need a God who answers by fire. The world needs to see a God who answers by fire. But I want to tell you where I'm headed in this message. The God who answers by fire is not going to answer unless he's got unless you have got some wood on the altar of your life for him to answer. And I believe Christians have been running around looking for every other source except God. Now, I'm speaking to Christians right now. If you're if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, look, you're lost. You're wandering around the dark. You ain't got you don't know. Come here from Sikkim from what's right. Right. But if you're a Christian, you should know what's right because you have a Bible and you can read a Bible. As Christians, we should be dead set. There is only one way. There is only one savior. Hello. And it's God almighty. There is no other savior. There is no other savior, but the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. There is no other answer for your problems in life. There is no other answer to fix your, your to help you through your problems with, with you know, with whatever it is, marriage, finances, uh, life, happiness, joy, whatever it is. There's no other answer except Jesus Christ. And when you're not faltering between two, maybe this pill will make me feel better. We were just in New Mexico and, uh, and now New Mexico in April has legalized marijuana. And so there were, there were, there were I don't know what you call them, pot stores everywhere. And, and I was like, oh, now there's a new answer. Go get some gummies. Now, you know, somebody can sit there and say, oh, well, my medical condition. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about trying to find happiness. Folks, listen to me. I'm not talking about it helps your medical condition. I'm talking about if you've got to turn to alcohol and drugs in order to make you feel happy, well, then you've missed it. You've missed Jesus Christ and the joy of the Lord, who should be your strength. 
I look at the world and I can listen to the world and I can go watch and I can go through all the news feeds and I can see all the crazy things going on. I can hear all the things that the, the everything's doing and everybody's doing and who's pointing a gun at who and whatever. And they can, then you can go look at all the, cons- the, 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 the theories out there, what's going to take place and who's going to do what and all this. And man, you get yourself into major depression. But then when I just turn to the back of the Bible and I read and say, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're coming back. Coming back with all your army and a white horse you're going to take and you're going to rule. Oh, Lord, I'm glad I'm part of that. I'm glad I'm part of an eternal kingdom. I'm glad, God, that you said that you're for me, not against me. That I don't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ for its power of salvation to everyone who believes. And you start to talk like that. And then all of a sudden life changes. And then there's Christians out there that say, well, you know, you don't need to be so radical. And, you know, that, that just turns people off. And uh, Listen, folks, I'm to the point right now in my life that I don't care who I turn off. Because I just want to see how many I can turn on. Amen. Right? I mean, we're in a bad place in life. I want to see how many people I can turn on to the Lord just like I got saved. When I walked into a barn to blow my brains out because I was depressed. And found Jesus and he changed my life and everything turned around and I, and I, and I went on another road in life because of that. And I'm still... I'm still to this day, 35 years later, meeting my wife. She can tell you this. Up there. Even while we're up there, she's up there. She, she'd be sleeping a little longer than me, and, and I'm all ready for her. Waiting for her to get up. Come on. Get up. i got to preach. i got to show you. Do you know what the Bible says? After 35 years, I'm saying, is that not true? I'm still doing Look at what it says right here. Looky, 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 looky. And I'm just as excited about it today as I was the day I got saved. 1985. Why? Because It's real. And I'm never faltered between two opinions. I am a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a one woman kind of guy and I'm a one God kind of guy, man. There ain't no ever, I ain't got nothing else. Right? I'm focused. I'm, there's only one way. And when you make that commitment, folks, life seems it will change for you. All the rest of the stuff starts to fall off. So. Let's look at verse 25. So I'm preaching this. I'm trying to get you stirred up. And then I'm going to give you some points at the end of this thing. If you want to get on the boat and, and live this way, I'm going to show you how to do it. First Kings 18, 25 says, Now Elisha said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourself and prepare it. And you call upon the name of your God, but put no fire in it. So they took the bull that was given them. They prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about their altar, which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, saying, now, this is why I love Elijah. Man, he's a trash talker. I mean, this dude would have been a good golfer, right? He is talking some trash. He says, cry aloud. For he's a God. Either he, maybe he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping. He need to wake him. So they cried out and they cut themselves as was their custom and the knives and the lances until blood was gushing out of them. And at midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Okay, listen to me. So that means they started in the morning and they went all the way to the evening. So all day long, they're up in front of their altar. They're cutting themselves. And Elijah's over there drinking him some sweet tea underneath his kickback. Man, he's enjoying life. He's just mocking them, teasing them. They're cutting, they're jumping, they're whooping, they're hollering, and they ain't getting nowhere. And I want to tell you something, folks. If you really find out, if 60% of, the, of America is depressed, well, then I can tell you that 60% of the people, what they believed in didn't work. Because if what you believed in was bringing you joy, you wouldn't be depressed. 
So I can tell you right off the bat that 60% of Americans, right, have believed in Baal. You know what I'm saying? Give it to me. I'm just talking metaphorically here. 60% have believed in Baal because they've been cutting themselves. They've been whooping and a hollering. They've been going around doing all kinds of stuff. They've been declaring this. They've been declaring that. You know, I mean, listen to me. If your life is miserable, you can only get along so far in, in, in thinking that you've made the world better because you put a solar panel on your house. If that's the answer to happiness, that you're going to become green friendly and, and you're helping the environment, you know, and then how's it working for you? That's all I'm saying. How's it working for you? I've told you all this story before, but it's just such a perfect story. I was preaching in the jails years ago and I was in the county jail preaching and the whole time I was preaching, this guy's just mocking me. The whole time I was preaching, stop. <laughs> He's just making all kinds of noises and doing all this and everybody was watching him and they were watching me and I could tell it was like, it was like this story. It was a showdown. Who's going to win, that guy or me? And so, I mean, apparently, I'm, I mean, I'm logically thinking he's in jail. So, you know, he's probably not the nicest guy in the world. And so... Uh, but after a while, I had just had enough of it. Finally, I just walked over to him and said, what's your problem? And he said, ah, oh, you're just telling everybody lies. I said, really? I'm telling everybody lies? He said, yeah. He said, all oh, you preachers are lying. He said, I remember when I was in vacation Bible school, me and my little brother were acting up, and my preacher walked by and popped me in the back of the head and told me to be quiet. And he said, I didn't like preachers ever since after that. Pop, hit me in the back of the head. And I said, and he, and he said, and so I never, had, I never went to church after that. And I said, well, then how's it working for you? And he just looked at me, and I said, here in a minute, they're going to open up that door and I'm leaving. You're in jail. So how'd that work for you? And it just like I slapped him in the face with a wet rag. And he just sat there in a minute and he says, you know, you're right. And I said, yeah, I'm right. What you believe in is a lie. And right there, that man gave his life to Christ. I never saw him again, you know, but I believe, my God, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see him. He gave his heart to Jesus that day, changed his ways. I don't know what went on after that, but I know that he got on the right track, right? Because sometimes we believe things and we believe that we're so justified in it, we're so right in it, we're so right in believing it, but it's leading us away. And if the world was doing good and they had the right answer, 60% of them wouldn't be depressed. It's just logical. Y'all with me here? If you agree with me, say amen. amen. Okay, so... The world can only offer temporal joy. The world's only going to offer it. That, that, that drunk, that smoke, that whatever that you do is only going to offer you temporal joy. That's what the world offers. It offers a temporary fix. It never solves the solution or has an answer for you. So it's, let's go get drunk and have fun. Well, then in the morning you got a hangover and you got a mess. Wrecked your truck and you didn't know it. I've only heard this, um, you know, don't know that that's the truth, but I just heard that that could happen. <clears throat> Y'all with me? But then everybody says about Christians, you know, look at Christians, because Christianity, well, let's put it this way. Churches have, have offered such a poor example of fire falling from heaven and bringing joy into life, because they always always want to constrict people and say, do this and do that and do this and don't do this and do this and do that, and do that. That they've offered such a poor example that the church, I mean, the world out there says, why do we want that? And that's what's got to change. Okay, it's what's got to change. So go to verse 30. Then Elisha said all, to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the world, 
to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of, of seed. And he put the wood in, the, in order, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four water pots full of water, pour on it burning, uh, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. Did it a third time. And water ran around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known to you this day that you are the God of Israel. And I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear this, that thy people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And he licked up the water that was in its trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see how quickly the people changed. First of all, the people just standing there and saying, yeah, I don't know who's God. And then the fire falls. Now, as I'm reading that, I'm just thinking, I, I never saw this until this second when I just read it. He said he dug a trench around it. I got a whole point about the trench in there, but I saw another one. You know, I guess Elijah was smart enough saying, well, the fire's going to fall and it hadn't rained in three years. We're going to have a fire. You're going to have a burn ban on. <laughs> Better dig a trench on this thing, put some water in it so we don't so burn the whole rest of the country down. You know, I don't know. I just came to me. That was a freebie there. OK, so so anyway, here he goes. The fire falls. Everybody say the fire fell. Man, folks, what we need in our life is the fire to fall. Listen to me. You've got to get into your life, all the doubts and unbeliefs out. Yeah, I know that you said, well, yeah, but what about, oh, you know, Sister Agnes over there? She's believing God for this and nothing happened. Listen to me. I don't know about Sister Agnes, but I know about you. And I know that if you'll get yourself turned on to the things of God and the promises of God, that God is faithful, that what he promised he'll do. But it's going to take a church. It's going to take a united group. It's going to take all of us standing around encouraging one another. Keep going, brother. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Because if you don't have that in your life, you're going to start listening to the, to the woes of the world. And you're going to start, ah, it's too hard, Lord. It's too hard. I don't know if I'm going to make it. That's what church is about. That's why we got to have each other. That's why that person sitting beside you this morning is a very important person to you. To keep you encouraged. That's why you have to get connected with other believers so that you can keep encouraging one another. We need that today. Folks, we need that today because you've got enough discouraging things out there. You need some encouraging things. Amen. So here we go. Let me see. Am I going to make it? It's going to be close. Okay, so what I want to show you right now is if, if you've made that choice, you said, yeah, pastor, that's who I want to be. I want to be the altar. I want to be the, the, the person that the fire of God falls on. This is what I want to do. Then I want to show you a few points here of what you need, to, how you're going to apply it to your life and how you're going to start in it, okay? First one is this. He said, come near to me. Listen to me. He said, come near to me. He told all the people, come near to me. Folks, you have got to get Jesus as the center of your life. Now, this is what people make such a big mistake here. Whenever you say a statement like that, they always say, oh, that means I've got to do everything right and I've got to, you know, I've got to become this religious person who doesn't do anything wrong. No, what it means is in all the mess you're in, you just need to be calling upon Jesus and ask him to help you through it. Jesus loves sinners. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
Jesus loves sinners. But he doesn't want to leave you in your sin because he knows it's not going to be good for you. He wants to help you and bring you out. And he wants to, cut, to work with you and get you to another place. I've told you this, and I, 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 the one thing nobody can ever accuse me about is being hypocritical. Because I am not going to tell you to do something I, I, you know, that I, I, I've achieved and, and, and y'all need to pick it up. Because I'm not there yet either. All right. I have to, man, I got to have Jesus in the middle of my life all every day. I got to turn to the Lord because there's things that I mess up. There's I have bad thoughts. I was at a restaurant just this on this trip and wanted to punch a guy in the face. <laughs> Told my wife, she said, we need to leave. And I said, I think we do. I'm listening to him talking. He's irritating me. The more he talks, I, I, I don't even want to tell him about Jesus. <laughs> I just want to knock him off his stool. That's all I want to do. I had to get out of the car, repent, said, Lord, that's wrong. I'm the preacher. I shouldn't be thinking like that. It's not the right way to think. God, help me, Jesus. I need to be thinking right. I need to pray for the guy. I need to minister to him. And so then later that day, I was just talking to the Lord about it. And he said, look, would you just start changing? I want you to change a few things. Quit thinking about punching everybody in the face. And I want you to punch them with the word. And I want to show you a certain way to do this. He started showing me a pattern of what I could do that'll be just as much fun. But it'll be more biblically based. <laughs> and so I'm taking notes. Thank you, Jesus. I got this. Next time I hear a fool talking, this is what I'm going to say, you know? And so I, 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 that's what I'm talking about. You got you to have a work. You got to have a working relationship with Lord. You got to have him near to you because we need him because we make mistakes. But if you're not willing, you know, like if you're trying to hide. Hello, you know, like when you're a teenager and your mother was going to come in your room and you're hiding stuff. If you're trying to hide stuff from Jesus, it doesn't do any good. He knows you got it anyway. You're just being silly like saying, oh, yeah. Hi, Lord. Uh, there's nothing here. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. He knows uh, you got to have him in the center of your life. So you need to just say, Jesus, I'm a mess, but I'm your mess. Here I am, Lord. Work with me. Show me what to do. And have an attitude like that. And when you do bring the Lord near to you, well, then all of a sudden you're going to start to see a change in your life. You're going to start to see the Holy Spirit start speaking to you, start showing you things, things that you can do, things that can go on. And you're going to start seeing victory in life. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He wants you to come to him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Jesus wants. But folks, you got to make him the center of your life. It's not like you just call on him when you're in trouble. It's not like you just turn to Jesus when you're, you know, you, you got a mess. That's not making him the center of your life. You got to have him in the middle of it. OK, the second one is then Elisha repaired the altar. Listen to me. You got to fix the broken altar in your life. He said, what do you mean? Well, Proverbs 4.23 tells us to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs forth the issues of life. Your heart, not your pumping heart in here, but the heart that's your love, your passion, your everything, the heart that's the center of you in here. It is your life. And the devil knows that. And he wants to damage your heart. He wants to sow seeds of doubt and unbelief in your heart. He wants to sow seeds of unforgiveness in your heart. He wants to sow seeds in your heart. He wants to get you off track and tear your altar down so you have no place to worship the Lord and to offer yourself unto the Lord. You have no altar in your life. 
Hear what I'm saying? The enemy always comes after the heart because it is the altar of your life. If he can get you in unforgiveness and bitterness and wrath and jealousy and whatever, then he's tearing down your altar. And just imagine it. Imagine mentally, like just imagine what your altar may look like. I'm not asking you to do image worship. I'm just saying, just think about it for a minute. What does an altar look like? What would your altar look like? That you're offering up your sacrifice to God and has it been torn down? Any seed of doubt and unbelief, any seed of unforgiveness that's gotten in there has torn your altar down and you have to repair it. Okay? The third thing is this. <clears throat> your altar has to be built on truth. Don't raise your hand. Don't look down at the ground when I say this because I'm not asking. I'm, I'm not asking you to really have a response here. But how many of you, you know, you, you got your lucky shirt or your lucky keychain or your lucky whatever, your lucky coin, your lucky whatever, and you always feel like a little more confident when you got that in your pocket that day? Well, that ain't going to work. But what you need to build your altar on is you need to build your altar on truth, not on luck. The truth of God's word. And when your altar is built on truth, then it will always stand. Okay? Let me give you just four quick things in here about what does it mean. There's four central truths that your altar must be built on. The first one is repentance. Listen to me, church. Hear what I'm saying today. Why do you let the devil beat you up in guilt over things you have done? When on God's side, repentance is right there. All you have to do is say, Father, I'm sorry, I repent. I, and what was I thinking? And whoosh, whoosh, you're free. Why do you let the devil get hold of you and hold you in guilt and shame when all you have to do is repent? The reason why is because we live in a works basis in life, a works mentality that it's not easy enough just to repent, to do something wrong or repent. That's not, that's too easy. You got off too easy. You got to suffer. You got to do penance. You need to whip yourself on the back. You need to climb up a tall mountain. You need to do something. You got to, you know, you got to show forth that you really deserve this. That's wrong. That's wrong teaching. Your altar's not built in truth. Look at the person beside you. Say, that's good news. Repentance is a truth that's got to be built in your altar. So when you mess up, you're going to mess up. Not any of us are going to do it all right. You're going to mess up. So be quick to repent. Okay? Jesus said his first message, Matthew 4, 17. He began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, repentance is a basis, the foundation for all of our Christian life. Repentance. Okay? Second one is that a foundational truth that you have to have in your altar is forgiveness. We don't like this word, but folks, listen to me. There is nothing free, more freeing than forgiveness. There's nothing more freeing than forgiving. Listen to me. The world is full of crazy people. The world is full of jerks. The world is full of people that will hurt you. The world is full of I mean, I, I, can, I can think of some other words, but I would have to do some repenting, okay? And so you get my point. There's some, there, there are people out there nuts. They're crazy. They're going to hurt you. They're going to say bad things. You can't imagine in my life how many people. They're, they're, I, they don't, I think that I hope they're unknowing. Just say things to me that cut me to the quick. And I'm just like, 
Lord, I forgive them. Because, see, I don't want it in my life. I don't want to tear down my altar. I ain't got time to mess with stupids out there. Messing my altar up. I don't need to go repair my altar. I don't have time to repair my altar. I want to be worshiping the Lord on my altar. And when people come in and they do things to you, listen to me, you've got to be quick to forgive, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wow. I mean, what else do I need to say? If you want to be forgiven, forgive. So the first thing to keep your altar built on truth is repentance. And the second thing is forgiveness. The third thing is this. 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The third thing you have to have in life, folks, is you have got to learn to develop vision. I'm not talking about seeing with your eyeballs. I'm talking about seeing what God can do through your eyeballs. Because if you're going to, I mean, listen to me. If you're just, if you're, how do I say this? Not get cut off. If you're depending on our government to straighten everything out, or the government that's going to come in in the next elections, you're looking in the wrong place. You've got the wrong vision. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus to come riding in. I'm looking for Jesus to come and start revival. I'm looking for church to expand and blow up. I'm looking for y'all, you know, and, and the church to be so full that y'all are fighting for seats. And I'm going to stand and say, folks, stop that. You know, y'all tackling each other. Who gets in the door fighting and scratching to get in here to get a seat? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the whole thing goes crazy. I'm talking about, that's my vision. I'm seeing people getting healed and saved and set free and coming in and marriages restored and life restored and children healed and families put back together and glory, hallelujah, nobody wants to leave. And I get through preaching and then y'all saying, we want more, we want more, we won't let you go. You lock the doors, preach more. This is what I'm talking about. This is a vision I'm keeping. I'm keeping the vision that fire is falling in my home. Fire is falling over my children, my grandchildren, everything that they're doing, they're touching is prospering. You've got to have a vision. And if your vision is in the wrong place, it's going to end up, you're going to be shipwrecked, okay? The fourth one is, is you've got to get your confession and your declaration straight. Mark eleven twenty two. 22, Jesus said, have faith in God for surely I say unto you that whosoever says... Whosoever says, whosoever speaks, whosoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart. He said, that guy, that guy who believes those things will be done will have whatever he says. Folks, you've got to get your confession going right. You can't walk around and say, in the morning you have your quiet time with the Lord. Lord, I love you. I praise you. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. I just love to worship you. And Jesus, you're everything to me. And then you walk out the door. Oh, God, today's going to be a horrible day. I don't know how we're going to get through it. People are there surrounded. But your confession's wrong. Oh, God, I just think you're going to bless me. You're going to prosper me. You're going to do everything. You go to the grocery store. Right now. I can't believe all these prices of the grocery store. Can't believe we're going to drive us all into it. We're going to go bankrupt. We're going to be in food lines. Oh, my God, we're going to go to the bread lines. I don't know how we're going to make it. Your confession is not lined up with what your prayer life was. you got to get your confession going. And say, God, you're going to take care of me. I don't care if Raven's got to feed me. You're going to provide whatever i got to do. If the jar of oil doesn't ever have to go empty, it just keeps pouring out. Keeps pouring out. God, you're a God of miracles. You're a God that's going to get me through this. I believe that you are going to take care of whatever's going to be. I was reading the story uh, in, in this whole story of, of Elisha, and you know he was he was by the brook, and 
The ravens are feeding him, so he had bread and water. They brought him bread and meat, and, and he had water right there out of the brook, and then the brook dries up. And I said to the Lord, Lord, why didn't you just make the, I mean, come on, you got birds feed to Elijah, and they're stealing it from somewhere. They weren't making it. I said, why didn't you just make the brook keep running? You're God. And he said, it's simple. I want him to go to Zarephath. I want him to go to the widow woman. I don't want her to die. How many times do we in life say, oh, God, the rook's dried up. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, God, why have you forsaken me? There's no water in the brook. Oh, God. But you know, forgot about the woman in Zarephath who you need to go minister to. See, because we're trying to control everything ourselves. We're trying to say, if in order for me to be blessed, it's got to go this way. Rather than waking up in the morning saying, Lord, I'm yours. You're the center of my life. Whatever needs to take place, whatever's going to go on, I think I'm going to walk right through it. I'm going to walk right through it because, God, you're with me. You're, on, you're my rear guard. You're going before me and behind me. Goodness and mercy following all of me all the days of my life. I'm blessed. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the field. Y'all see what I'm saying, church? This is what causes the fire to fall in your life, okay? This is what causes the fire to fall in your life. So that's how you repair your altar. Here's, here's number four, back to the points on, on, on building your altar. In 1 Kings 18, 31, he said, Now Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come to them, saying, Israel shall be your name. The fourth thing is, <clears throat> when, you're, uh, when, you, when you're getting your life straight because he's the sinner and the fire is going to fall, is folks, listen, you have to learn to stand that, according to Philippians 2, 9, man, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is everything in your life. I, I don't ever like to be around somebody that takes the name of the Lord in vain, but I sure don't like to be around somebody that uses Jesus in a wrong, negative way. And I call them out on that pretty quick. Because the name of Jesus is supposed to be the name that's above every name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You cannot imagine in the spiritual realm when you really utter the name of Jesus over your life or pray in the name of Jesus or speak the name of Jesus, what it does in the spiritual realm. What it does in the spiritual realm. Folks, listen to me. What a privilege to pray in the name of Jesus. What a privilege to speak the name of Jesus and say, in the name of Jesus, my family is blessed. Shockwaves go out through the spiritual realms because the King of Kings name has been used. You have a charge account. You're a business is saying you have a charge account at a, another location and you tell the person, you tell the person that's there, if so-and-so comes in and uses my name, he can charge. So the other person walks in as if it's you to the store and says, I need this and this, charge it. He did it in the name of Jesus. You follow what I'm saying? It's the same principle. Jesus delegated his authority to us here on this earth, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that means every devil, every sickness, every spirit of poverty, everything that the devil could throw has to bow to the name of Jesus. And he gave it to you. You've got to build this life of fire on your life based on the name of Jesus. The fifth one is, I'm going to hurry through this and I'm going to have to go revisit all this again next week, but I want to get through it. The fifth one is in verse 32. He says, in with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar. Now, there's a, that's what I was talking about, the fire ban a while ago. <clears throat> but let me tell you what I wrote down here about the trench. 
I just want to ask you this again. Just keep looking at me. Okay. Don't look down because if it did, I know I hit you right between the eyes. What's your habits in life? Do you have a habit of worshiping God? Do you have a habit of reading your Bible? Do you have a habit of going to church? Do you have a habit of watching the program? Do you have a habit of, of word studies? Do you have a habit of the devotion? Do you have a, you know, do you have a habit of, uh, of going to the app and getting the confessions out and reading the confessions every day? What's your habits? Griping, murmuring, complaining? Do you have a habit of getting up every morning and complaining to your wife? As I've gotten older... I finally told my wife one day, I said, we got to quit. I said, I wake up in the morning and I got a bruise somewhere. And I said, well, and she said, why do you got a bruise on your arm? And I said, well, I don't know where did I got that bruise. I don't know where I got that bruise. And where did you hit my head? Something. We talk about all this stuff. And I said, just going on down the road. Next thing we'll be talking about getting into the place, we're talking about skin tears. We got a skin tear over here. I don't know what is going on. I said, as we're getting older, we're going to quit this stuff. We ain't sitting around the table all the time talking about what's wrong with us. Or why does this hurt? Because the truth is there is no reason and you can't figure it out anyway. Or why hair grows in places it shouldn't. <laughs> and others fall out. I mean, it don't make no sense at all to me. And so well, my point is, is that, that what is your habit? Acts 17, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, Now, when they had passed through in Philippus and have gone to Apollyon, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. He had a custom. It was his custom. It was, his, where are you going to find you every morning at 5 o'clock? Where are you going to find you every, every day at a certain time? Daniel... The Bible says three times a day he looked, opened his window, prayed, and looked towards Jerusalem. What's your habits? Folks, listen to me. You know, I haven't looked into it, I haven't researched it too much. This thought just hit me. But there's a, I've been noticing a commercial about an app, and the app is trying to show you how your eating habits are based upon your childhood and how you were raised and what you're around. And that when you change those habits, your eating changes. And I thought to myself, how many times did I hear my mother, God bless your mom if you're watching, <laughs> say to me, eat all that food, the starving kids in China. And this app is somehow or another trying to help you to get to where you break those habits in your life so that you'll eat correctly or whatever. And I thought, isn't that a novel approach? Right? But what's your habits in life? When something goes wrong, you're going to get mad, break something? Man, got a cold response on that when I felt it. Whoa! The wife's scared to tell you because she knows how you're going to react? Because that's your habit? Matthew 15, 5 says, But you say, whoever says to his father's mother, this is to his father's mother. Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God. Then he need not honor his father or his mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. Do you know that you can make God's word not effective in your life by the habits that you do? If you want the fire of God to fall in your house and the fire of God to fall in your life, if you want the fire, you have to stop right now and look at your habits. And are they habits that are bringing you closer to God or farther away from God? Do you know that if you want to form a good habit, you simply do it consistently for 20 
three days, and then you have a habit formed in your life forever. If you get up every morning at a certain time and do not let anything deviate you from it and read your Bible at a certain time every day for 23 days, that habit then becomes a a part of your life. Neurons change in your brain. Everything lines up, and that's what you're going to do every morning. See, I like to, like, we just took off and went off on, on a vacation, but I'm never on a vacation with Jesus. Jesus is my life. I'm not, I'm not going off to go get a message. The message, this whole message, this is God speaking to me. I'm sharing with y'all from the overflow. This is not God, I want to think, oh, what am I going to do? I've got to find something to preach. No, this is me sitting there having my quiet time with the Lord, him showing me these things in my life that I need to make sure are right in my life. I never take a vacation from Jesus. He's my, he's more than just a habit in my life. He's my everything. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to pray. I want to read my Bible. Some mornings I'm sharper than others. I'm admitted. Some mornings I'm reading it like saying, Lord, this don't make a bit of sense to me. But I'm reading it. Other mornings I'm like hanging on every word, got pen out, writing. Oh, God, look at that. And that's not his fault. It's mine. The last one here. I say it's the last one. Yeah, it's the last one. Okay, the last one. And this one, I mean, y'all just going to love me on this one. 33, verse 33. This will be the sixth one. It says, and he cut and he put the wood in its order and he cut the bull in pieces and he laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Okay. Proverbs 24, 33 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your needs like an armed man. The sixth thing is, he said, putting on the wood. In other words, he put the energy into it. Fire burning, creating energy. We are in a world situation right now where no one wants to work. No one wants to sweat. No one wants to earn anything. They all want to go and get something free from the government. Now, listen to me. Don't, don't, you can get mad at me if you want to, but then you're going to have to go back up to the other point and get into forgiveness and repentance. So don't do it. When I was raised, you know, I was raised in the 70s. And, uh, you know, assistance, government assistance was something that you didn't want to do. You tried to stay away from. You were embarrassed if you had to go on assistance. But if you did need to go on assistance, you only did it for a time to help you through a trial and then go on. And that's what it's always been for. And that's what it always should be for. You need to help people. People get in trouble. They need a helping hand, right? But you don't live there in that. And our world today has gone crazy because everybody's figured out a way that you can go in there and you can apply for a job and you just know you're not going to get it. So then you can go down to the unemployment office and get unemployment so then you don't have to work. And so you go around through there and then you claim COVID and then you claim this and then you claim that. And all the money, everybody just said, we just need to help the people. We're just going to keep giving them money. That's not the answer. The answer is to take responsibility for our lives and put energy into it and say, I want to be a man and a woman of God. And I'm going to work to get there. But that seems like a dirty word today, work. I am so trained by, you know, my parents. And this is not wrong. I'm just saying this is who I was. I grew up on a ranch. Nobody, after they told me, you know, I had to go down and feed the show steers. I had to get up every morning. I had to put on my, my work clothes and go down, feed the show steers and get all that done and take care of all that. Get back to the house, eat some breakfast, change clothes and go to school. Come home, do it all over again. 
And you put a work ethic into me. My father, thank God for my parents. He put a work ethic into me. I don't have to be anywhere at eight o'clock. Right? I don't have to be. But I still get up and I'm a whole day's plan that I got to be ready to go to work at eight o'clock. So if I got to, if I'm going to pray and I know it's going to take me two hours, well, then I got to get up and make sure I got two hours before eight o'clock. So I always get up at five, six o'clock in the morning when I don't even have to. On vacation, I was up at five o'clock in the morning. I was outside reading my Bible. Took me a few days where I made it to six and then a couple of more days that I got to 630. And then I woke up and felt like a sinner. <laughs> and maybe someone could look at me and say, well, Robert, you're a little above, you know, a little too much. You're a little extreme on your work. No, I, I mean, this is me and this is what I, I believe. And I expect it from everybody around me. But the world right now today doesn't work. Now, this is where I want to, I want to, <clears throat> this is where I want to end up. I noticed something. We were going on our trip up there. Every restaurant had a help wanted sign. Okay? Every restaurant had a help wanted sign. Every restaurant you went into, most of them were panicked. You know, people are coming in and they're just running table and everybody's just, <laughs> and they're only staying open until three because they're going to get enough staff to make it from the lunch to three hour. Because they can't do anything else. They can't do a breakfast and a you know, lunch and then a supper because they can't have staff. They don't have enough people to do this. Nobody wants to work. And the ones that do want to work are trying as hard as they can, but they're overworked because there's too many people because there's not enough people getting served at all the places. Okay. And so I got to noticing that some restaurants are doing better than others. And so I started talking to the owners or the managers. And every one of them had the same answer. Well, we called in family. So the granddaughter came in to help, and then the uncle came in, and then one we went into, there was an old guy. I say old guy, you know, I mean, he didn't need to be working in the restaurant. And uh, he's taking the seating deals, you know, and he's like, well, what do you want me to put this down at? You know, what do I do? Just take their first name and write it on the list. Okay, what's your name? All right, Robert. All right, got you, Robert. And he just did and they said, and I said, I said, so what did they do have to recruit you? Oh, yeah, I didn't have enough help down here. And I came down, he's like this, came down here and tried to help him out, do some stuff. But he was family. <laughs> Called in family. Why? Because if your family and your, your family is a, you know, a, 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 had some structure to it, well, then the family thinks the same and they believe the same. They have the work, same work ethic, the same. Hello? Yep. And you can get along with them. And you're all working for the same purpose because it's family. And as I, man, the Holy Ghost started just, just erupting that on the inside of me. Huh, family. What about the family of God? How much more now is God screaming out through me seeing this that we have got to have family? Family. Yeah, I go to Living Waters. That's where we go to church. We're the family up there. We learn, we grow, we learn from each other. We have relationships because we need family. We need like-minded people because that's the only way we're going to get through the mess that's on us now and what's coming. Because folks, I can tell you right now, Amen. it ain't over. I don't, I'm not saying that to be fearful. I'm just telling you, crazy ain't over yet. All right? And so we need family. We need Christian family to make it through. That's why my next week's message is going to be about the family business. 
And I'm looking for the deal. Man, don't go against the family. <laughs> Bring a little Godfather in here and make it work. Godfather, see? <laughs> you don't go against the family. And that's how we have to be. Amen? So I know I was long today, and, 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 but listen, you can go back and re-listen to this message and get all these points if I just skim through them all too fast, but listen to me, it's so important. You need the fire of God in your life, amen? So stand up. Prayer team people, come down up front and, and listen to me. Those of you that are out there watching, listen to me. Maybe the fire of God's never fallen in your life. Maybe you're sitting here today saying, oh, I wish the fire of God fall in my life. Listen to me. His name is Jesus. And if you call upon the name of Jesus, the Bible says you will not be ashamed because he will come into your life. He will touch you right where you are. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the name that's above every name. And when you call upon Jesus, within the spirit of God will come upon you. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll wash you in his blood and he'll make things right with you and write your name down in the, his book of life. And eternity is yours. Then this message makes sense, and then you can start to apply these points to your life. But if you're out there, listen, call upon the name of Jesus right where you are. Just pray a simple prayer and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood. Make me right with you. And he will right there. If you're in the building here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's why we have prayer team people up here. And you say, well, I'm scared. Don't be. Don't, you ought to be scared to leave those doors. You ought to be scared to walk out of this building if you're not for sure 100% right that you're right with God. You should be scared to walk out those doors. We live in a trying time. We live in a horrible time right now. And we need everything that we can get. So if you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, well, then you need to just come up here at the front of the, when I, in the service and ask one of these people to pray with you. Maybe you've got another situation going on. Maybe you just need some agreement and prayer over your friend or whatever. That's why these people are here to pray with you. And so don't leave today if you need prayer. Amen. Now I want to bless you. So grab that person's hand on the other side of you. And let me pray. Father, right now, I pray for everyone in here. I pray for everyone out there listening and watching. I just declare, Lord God, that the fire of God is going to fall on their life because today their hearts changed. Today, oh, Lord God, that we get our altar fixed. We get all the, 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 all the, re the repairs done that need to be. We get all the things working in life. And I just declare, Lord, that you are going to fire of God is going to fall on a fresh new anointing upon the people this day. And so, Lord, bless them. I thank you that as we leave here, that word is going to be sown in their hearts and they're going to be able to share it with others. And Lord, I praise you that as we go out, we're going to be Christians who, who walk with you and are not torn between two opinions, that we know what's right and we're going to walk in it. So Lord, bless them exceedingly abundant today, more than they could ever think or ask. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We're up here for prayer if you need it.